<clears throat> Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome once again into the house of the Lord. Are there any uh, greetings or announcements? Cards? One card. I got to do the uh, the hand hand signals here. So there's there's a card uh, out in the um, in the foyer. Please sign it. I think that's the one from Brother Frank Balzer to thank him for his help with the windows. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. I'll just repeat it for those online. For those of you that remember um, our friend uh, Viorica that was here in our midst for a number of years, uh, when she was uh, living here in Canada, she returned to Romania and I've just been informed that she was actually taken up in the church there and baptized a little before Christmas. We're thankful that the Lord's, uh, the seed sown in her heart here, I know she was convicted when she was here, has indeed borne uh, fruit. And thank you to all those who worked with her and communicated with her over the years. I have a few brief announcements. First of all, a big thank you to everyone who was involved with the production uh, of this weekend uh, for the OMEC meeting, preparing food and cleanup and everything that went with that. Uh, may the Lord bless you richly for your labor of love. And uh, the ladies inform me that there is a great deal of fruit left from the weekend. It's on the table downstairs. So please go ahead and help yourself take some home. Uh, there's plenty there. One other thing. Okay, I'll, so for Wednesday, Wednesday night CFG, no need to bring refreshments like we usually do. There looks like there's plenty of desserts that are left and we'll keep until, uh, until Wednesday. I'll just uh, reiterate the announcements from this morning. The focus of this month's collection is Eastern Europe. Um, the brethren there in, in Ukraine especially are going through a great deal of hardship, so let's remember them not only in prayer but also financially. Um, this Wednesday, we're going to continue with our theme of the life of Christ, and that will be uh, um, starting regular time, 7.30, with singing 8 o'clock for the Bible study. May 1st weekend, so that's April 30th, May 1st weekend, is the Richmond Hill baptism date. There's two souls for that. Uh, Brother Dylan, or uh, our friend uh, uh, Dylan uh, Delick, and Layla uh, Delick as well. It's the wife of uh, Brother Justin Delick. Um, the Northeast Sing is the weekend following, May 7th and 8th weekend. In Strasbourg, there's, a, there's the baptism following that, May 14th. And then Windsor has a baptism on May 28th. So there's lots going on in the month of May. That's all that I have. Oh, right. Um, so the Nemini family that's in Ukraine, uh, it's not 14 children, it's 22. So moving that many children under any circumstance. I have a hard enough time with seven. So uh, let's keep the brethren there in prayer. Many of the families are quite large, and especially if they have children that are, are especially boys of military age, you can imagine the uh, nationalistic pressure to, uh, to be, be part of the violence. And uh, Christ has not called us to that. It's an opportunity for them to witness, but it's also a, a great deal of, uh, I'm sure, uh, fear on the parts of the parents, so let's keep them also in prayer.
Let's bow our heads before we look into God's word together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for this opportunity we have. We thank Thee for each one that's chosen to gather here this afternoon and those who are joining us even online. We're thankful that Thou art a loving God who cares for us, that nothing escapes Thy notice nor attention. Thou art never distracted nor short on time. And so, Heavenly Father, we can come into thy presence whenever we will to glorify thee and lift thee up, to place our petitions before thee, to look for comfort and hope in a fallen and and chaotic world. And so, Heavenly Father, even now we want to do this. We want to lay aside earthly cares, come into thy presence and kneel at thy feet. Teach us now from thy word and feed us from the same. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think you'll agree with me that this morning's message that we heard from Brother Ed was not only timely but convicting. And um, when I was thinking about some of the things that he said, I was thinking about also how he said them. And you know, Brother Ed, even by his, most, by his own admission, he would tell you that he's not a polished speaker. But the heart of that brother in sharing those things with us was very apparent. And I think that's so important. You know, one of the things that I, I thought about while he was preaching, there's a, there's a song I think we sang once in choir, What If Everyone in Church Was Just Like Me? I'm so thankful that we have a plural ministry, that there's more than one brother in the ministry. I'm thankful also that we don't get paid because we can stand up here then and speak freely, not worrying about what the financial consequences to ourselves and to our family might be. I'm thankful that we have unpolished brothers that stand up here and speak the word as well. We need that. I need to hear from brothers that will just tell it to me straight and that care for me because I can take admonishment from someone that I know that loves me. What a blessing it is that we have this freedom in our fellowship, in our assembly of churches, that we can do this, that a brother can come from three and a half, four hours away and speak a word of admonishment to us and be loved for it. That's the love of the brotherhood. The easy thing is when you're in some place unfamiliar or maybe that don't know you as well is to speak pleasant things and to try to make things sound nice because you want to be accepted as a guest. It's much harder to speak things that are difficult to hear, but we need to hear that too. We really need to hear that. And I'm so thankful for that message that we heard this morning. And so hopefully in fitting with the theme of uh, what uh, Brother Ed spoke about, I'd like us to turn together to 1 John, the fourth chapter. I'm going to read a few verses from the end of the fourth chapter going into the fifth. John's first epistle, starting with chapter 4, verse 19. 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. 
For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. I've read till the fourth verse of the fifth chapter. Aren't you thankful that the scripture tells us that we serve a God whose name is love? A God of love. We say that, we say that quickly. The children sing songs about it in Sunday school. God is love, his mercy chastens, right? There are other ones too. But have you ever thought about the alternatives? What if we were told that God's name is justice? He is just. But he chose, he chose to characterize himself by love. He could have picked many attributes. He could have said that his name is holiness. And we know that holiness is part of who he is. And even that, the language doesn't work properly because God is one. There are no parts to God. It's something he tells us about himself. But he doesn't emphasize that in the same way that when he speaks about his love. Aren't you glad that he chose that priority for us? We might be discouraged if we thought about some of his other attributes, some of the other things he tells us about himself, and chose instead to focus only on those. We might feel overwhelmed, incapable, and we are. We know that. But when he tells us that not only is he love, but that he is a loving father, we can, our, our, our pea-sized brains can wrap our heads around that idea. A loving father. I know what that should look like. And so if he's like that, I don't have to be afraid of him. We love him because he first loved us. God has made us responsible. By that I mean response-able, able to respond. And some in theological circles have had a, tr had a problem with that, and they would say that, well, our response, as soon as we take part in any way in salvation, that must be somehow uh, taking away from the sovereignty of God, his, his kingship, his authority, and therefore it can't really mean that, but it is that. But it's also useful to remember that we only respond. 
we respond to something he started before we were even aware of him. He began things and we only respond to them. The initiation is never on our part. It always comes from, from him. We love him because he first loved us. Now, that part, that's the easy part. That's the part where all Christians can say, yes, amen, wonderful. But John is also intensely practical. Read what comes after. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. Isn't this where things get muddy for us? When we're only talking about us and God, somehow that seems a little bit easier. God understands us. We understand our roles in the relationship. He's the one above us. I'm the one underneath. I'm the one who's constantly messing up and making mistakes. But he's the perfect one, and and I'm okay with humbling myself under a God like that. I mean, he's so much bigger than I am. That's not that bad. But humbling myself under the authority of another fallible human? That's a little too far. That's... You don't know this person's faults or their annoying habits or their screwy personality or whatever it is that may set us off. You know, I started mentioning about that song that we sang, If Everyone in Church Was Just Like Me. I think about that sometimes and I think maybe a couple things would be better if that was the case but a lot of things would be much, much worse. One of the advantages of age is you get to figure out who you really are, what you are, what you're not. And I think you kind of stop trying to be what you're not. That's one of the advantages of maturity. Kind of step back from it and say, well, I do a lousy job copying this kind of person, so I might as well stop and just be myself. That's good. That, that knowledge is good. That's healthy. Because God has placed each one in his body as he sees fit. As stones. You know, I, I, watch, I like watching some uh, documentaries and different programs that, on, on YouTube. And one, of, one particular documentary, I don't even know how I found it, but it was fascinating. It was this place in France rural France, a small village, and they had this, this living museum that they started. And they were building a castle, a medieval French castle, the way that they figure it would have been built, with the techniques and the technology that were available at the time. And I like castles. I guess I always have. I fascinated with it as a, as a kid. You can ask my mom about stories and she'll tell you lots. But to me, it was so interesting to see how they were building this thing. One of the things that stood out to me is I don't think any two stones were exactly the same. How they fit some of those coarser stones inside the wall and then there was the final finished facing stones that were a little bit more regular and polished. But without those heavy stones on the inside supporting and carrying the load that never got seen, 
the fancy stones that dressed it would be useless. There was this one window, if anyone knows what a Gothic arch is, we had them in the old church, these pointed arches that went to a, went to a point, right? And they had this beautiful window that they were building for the chapel, and the, the, the Gothic window that was going to be the focal piece of this chapel, it took them months, months to make this. The master, master mason there chipping away at the limestone with these hammers and, and tooth chisels, just shaving it to get it smooth, then taking it out and test fitting it, oh no, a little bit off. And then the moment when the arch was finally assembled and they're all there supporting the pieces, gently lowering them in, and then at one point, oh, oh stop, it doesn't fit, we gotta take off a little bit more here, they took it off. And then finally when it was all fit in, they all stood back and they all clapped because it was such a, uh, an accomplishment to do something so difficult with those. And you think of those, those few stones that make up that arch. So fancy, meant to be looked at. But without the rest of the wall, what's the window? It's so important that we are all part of the body, all having our place. Different stones for different reasons in different places, doing different things. And to learn to love each stone for what that stone contributes to the whole building. More care and effort was lavished on those stones that made up the arch for that window. Definitely than the ones that went on the inside of the wall. But they were not independent of each other. It's not like the one could exist without the other. And so when I think about that in context of the church, and what it means to love my brother. I think a little bit about those different stones and the mortar that goes in between those stones to take out the irregularities and, and, and tighten the contact points between the stone. If you've ever tried to build a dry stack wall, you can't get very high. Dry stack means uh, stones, unfitted stones that are simply stacked one on top of another. That was always my job. Uh, when we were camping, is to make the fireplace. You get there, the fireplace is always a wreck. So carefully fitting each stone, finding out, flipping it over, which one fit the best on the dimple of the other one and onto the point of the other one and reasonably airtight and so that the grill would sit nice and level so the pot wouldn't spill. All of those things, all part of camping. And for some reason, my personality, I guess, is suited to that. I still pack the van. Grace sets out, you know, this stuff needs to be accessible, this stuff can get buried and then it's my job to tuck in each one into its proper spot under each seat and see it's a challenge right this pile of stuff can it all fit so I understand a little bit that sometimes the first attempt of fitting things together doesn't work and sometimes the friction and the way things fit it's not it's not quite right and sometimes you got to take things down take it apart pull it apart in order to put it back together properly that takes a bit of patience doesn't it bit of patience. And I realize, too, that others need to be patient with me as well. I have patience problems. I know that. My kids definitely know that. But I am who I am, and I'm working on that, but I'll never have the serene disposition of an emittent or others that I think of, wow, <laughs> I wish it was a bit more like that, but I realize that's not me, and maybe God's got a spot in his wall for a guy like me who's got some sharp edges and corners maybe that poke people the wrong way. 
but that's okay. I'm not called to figure out where each piece fits in the wall. That's his job. He's the wise master builder. He's the one who's going to fit those, those stones together in a way that please him. And let me tell you, when they were building that castle, there were parts of it where I was kind of scratching my head going, what are they doing? Man, what a slap-up job. This looks like a mess. And then once they started fitting in some of the finished pieces, oh, I get it now. You know, it started off looking more like a pile than anything else. And then once you realize the vision of the, of the builder starts coming through, and then you, your opinion goes from this guy's a schlep to this guy's a genius. It's amazing how quickly that changes. Now, I remember a famous quote from Mark Twain who said, when he was 18 years old, he thought his, his parents were the two most backward, mule-headed people in the whole world. And when he was 21, he thought they were the wisest people that ever lived. He said, it's amazing how much they changed in three years. Of course, the truth is more about us, right? That comes with time, too, the wisdom of seeing what other people have said. I gave my kids a, a quote that I heard once. I don't even remember where I heard it. You can judge the greatness of a man or a woman by the length of the shadow they cast. And sometimes in the first generation, it's not apparent who really was great. But with time, we get to see what the lasting effects were. And by that measurement, even secular scholars will say, Christ must have been the greatest man who ever walked the earth. Because look at the shadow he cast. Look what he did. But for now, we don't always see the end. We don't see what the long term is. We only see the now. We only see how we fit with the stones next to us in the whole picture. And so in order for that to be fitted together properly, we need to have a healthy dose of mortar, that love that binds us together, that takes away some of those rough parts. And this commandment, Interesting word, commandment. Have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also? A command to love? Can love be commanded? It must be freely given. But once it's given, any instruction, any desire becomes a delight. Verse 3 of chapter 5, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. You know, when the minister speaks to the new young couple in front of the church and says to the brother, now you need to love your wife. He smiles. Because for him, that's the easiest thing in the world right now. But the minister is a little older and maybe a little wiser than he is. And he knows there's going to be a time when he needs to be reminded that he needs to love his wife. Because he might forget that. So it is. When our heart is, is, is filled with love, then a commandment isn't really a commandment, is it? It's a delight. We anticipate the needs of the other or the desires of the other. And it becomes a joy to us to try to anticipate the 
the desire of the person before they even tell it to you. I know my wife likes a certain thing, so when I'm in the store and I see it, I'll pick it up. That's a delight, isn't it? A sign of love. Now we see how the commandments of God really are. His yoke indeed is easy and his burden is light, if we are in the proper frame of mind. That's where it all, where it all clicks, where it all works together, where it becomes a joy. And then it's not so hard to love our brother. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Great, a creedal statement. The early councils uh, of the church got together and decided what were the essential things to believe uh, about God and about man uh, so that they could call themselves orthodox. Uh, ortho, ortho is a correct, I think, and, and dox is, is, is belief or statement, something like that. I'm not very good at Greek or Latin, so don't quote me on that one. Right thinking, basically. Orthodoxy. Right thinking. So here's the right things to think. But the Bible's not that simple. Because the Bible doesn't just require mental assent. God never asked for your head. He asked for your heart, knowing that your head comes with your heart, but your heart is the more important part of you. Who you are, what you love, what you believe. Your head, your intellect, is an excellent servant, servant to God. But it will not lead you there. The heart is the thing that he speaks to. The heart is the thing that aches, even though we may have solved something intellectually. It doesn't satisfy. It's when the heart is full that we're happy. And sometimes we kind of wonder at the little things that delight us. Why is it so wonderful to hold a little baby? Why is it so precious to watch a little child learning how to walk? Intellectually, I can tell you a little bit about the physics and the balance and the development of the child, but that's not satisfying, isn't it? It's much more satisfying to just simply watch them discovering this and each one learning in their own way, and some children just charge. Heads, you know, there's no setting between off and full. It just, all the way. Others go slowly and carefully, and as they're walking, they catch themselves and have to steady themselves again, and we, we, we delight in that. There's joy in watching this development. To love is so much more fulfilling than to know. I wish more people would realize that. It's not about the answers, it's about the loving. That's why God is love. He doesn't say he's knowledge, though he is all knowledge. He is love. And we are designed for that. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and here is the corollary of that law. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. If you love, if you love the, the father, you're going to love the son that came from him. And that goes for each one that is his son and his daughter here below. That's how it works. He's a God of love. And if he's a God of love who birthed love into this new creature, 
then if I'm from that same father, I'm going to love that brother or sister in spite of sometimes the way they, they rub me and the way that we interact. You know, there's, it's interesting, as you get older too, you realize other things about other people. There's, there's brothers uh, and, and sisters in the church that I can freely say that I don't feel like I have a whole lot in common with. In fact, I wouldn't even say that I'm like really buddy-buddy with them or, or feel really emotionally close to them, but I can certainly appreciate how the Lord has placed them in the body of Christ and how he's using them to further his kingdom. And that's a kind of love as well. There's a love for the whole that says, this whole body I love. This whole body is the Lord's body. It's his bride. And even though there's one over here that's maybe very different than me, I can see how they're contributing to that body, and I love them for that, even if maybe personally, personality-wise, whatever it is, we may not totally click, but that's okay. The Lord has a spot in his body for them too. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. How do you know if you love your brother or sister? It works the other way around as well. Do you love God? Do you love his commandments? Do you keep his commandments? Do you look to find out what his commandments are to keep them because you love him? Isn't that part of loving someone? Learning about them, learning what they love, what they enjoy, what makes them tick? That's part of the uh, delight of the honeymoon phase of marriage. You're learning new things about that person and you're, you develop your own little private jokes maybe and, 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 and different, different, you find out different things that you weren't aware of and there's things that you come across and say, wow, I, how could God know that I needed a person like that? And he gave me this person without even knowing this detail about them. Or you find out all these commonalities that you have, how the Lord has brought you together. You know, the world says opposites attract. That's true to a point. But I will also tell you that the things that you are opposite from with your spouse are the points where you're going to have friction. And the things that you're alike in are going to be the things that help you and steady you through the times when things are difficult. A commitment to a common faith. A commitment to a, to a marriage that will endure. A commitment to raising children in the fear and the love and the admonition of the Lord. You may have slightly different philosophies on some of those things, and sometimes that's what causes the friction. But the common things are where you can really draw strength. You can lean on the other person, knowing that you share this common, this common value, this common, this common love. I'm so thankful that my, love, my wife has a great love for the fellowship and, and for those in, in other churches as well. And the, the children are picking up that love and... and now, as they are kind of part of the youth group and, and, and traveling around, they love that. And I love that because I enjoyed that so much as a young person. I see how that works. And I'm thankful that that same love that I have has been now passed on to my children and that they are also finding others who love the same thing, who love the truth, who love the fellowship, who love the church. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. The world's a pretty scary place right now. 
Not since I was a child are they banding around the idea of open nuclear war again. We have pandemics. We have some very twisted interpretations of what men and women mean. We have some crazy ideas about economics that are going to end in flames. But don't worry. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. The things that are born of God cannot be destroyed. They tried to destroy Christ. What happened? He resurrected and launched the church age. And the news, <laughs> that temple that they thought was so precious in a few short years after that was destroyed. We talked about it a little bit with some of the brothers around the table, how it was pulled apart. That temple was overlaid with gold and when it was finally put to the torch, Trajan wanted to preserve it. It was a masterpiece of building. It's called a wonder of the ancient world. And when it was finally put to the torch and the wood burned, everything that was overlaid with gold melted and that gold seeped in between the great rocks that that temple was made of and the whole thing was torn apart to get at that gold. And indeed, as Christ prophesied, there would not one stone remain upon the other. You can understand why he would weep over that city knowing what was going to happen. But the Lord knows. And so even there, the, Jerusalem was ringed about by Roman armies and there was a, the, the siege was briefly lifted. The, the Roman armies uh, um, pulled up stakes and went north and the Jews actually ran out after them and pursued them and, and, and harried them as they were heading away. And the Christians realized that their Lord had said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, that's the time. Don't go down into the house to take anything out of the house. Get out of the city. And they did. They left. And Josephus tells us not one Christian perished in the siege of Jerusalem, though the city was laid low and they turned to cannibalism and all sorts of other unspeakable things. That which is born of God overcometh the world. Now, it may not be that kind of dramatic overcoming that we see. But the other things in the world, the entertainment of the world, the practices of the world, the styles, the dress of the world, the attitudes of the world, the language of the world. God's love overcomes that too. You want to build something that endures? Build on that. That's going to overcome the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. What is faith? That's a difficult one to answer. A belief in things unseen, an acting in our life as if certain things that are unseen actually are fully real, as real as the things that I can see. When we grab hold of this, you know, as a younger man, I, I, I struggled a little bit more with faith. I struggled with it through conversion, and even after conversion, I would have these momentary doubts where I would think, well, is, is this some kind of a, a, a self-delusion? Is this some sort of a, you know, these brief flashes where 
Satan would come to me when I'm low and say, is this, is this really for real? And I have to say, I, I thank God that over the years, as he's continued to lead me and guide me and show me things, in some of those things, Satan can't touch me anymore. I'm not saying that I'm faultless. Far from it. But those things, I've dived down under the waters many times and looked at the foundations of what he built, and I come up rejoicing. And I don't have to keep going back down and checking the foundation again. I know it's stable. I know it's sure. It will stand. By his grace, it will stand. It will overcome the world. Once you've tested things enough, there's no longer a need to test them anymore. You're sure of them. You know you can build on them. Remember at my parents' place, they had a pond in the front we used to go and skate on sometimes in the, uh, in the winter or the one in the back. Once you test that ice enough, you don't have to keep stamping on it. You know it'll hold you. It's no longer necessary to keep testing it. And so from that, from that sure foundation, we can build on that. We can build a life on that. We can build a family on that. We can build a legacy on that. We can build a church on that. It doesn't matter what the government of this country may do. It doesn't matter if they choose to revoke our charitable status at some point in the future or repossess this building and use it for some kind of satanic thing even. None of that really matters because when God builds something, it endures. They can only do things to the physical. But faith is spiritual and faith endures. And what Christ said will never pass away. That we can build on. May the Lord add to whatever was said and I'd like to ask a brother to please select a Two hundred twenty one, two hundred twenty one.
please lead us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words that we have heard this afternoon. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have made each and every one of us different, that you have given us, each and every one, a great value in, in your sight, that there is a purpose for each and every one of us. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, for this, this body that you've given us to fellowship with. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the, the ministering brothers that, that share your words with us. And Lord, we, we thank you for giving us the foundation of your Son, Jesus Christ, that, that you can lay all your stones to build, to build up. Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray that you may, you may remind each and every one of us how we, how we ought to live every day in our lives, how we can be a light and a foundation for, for those all around us, that we can be used to be fitly fit together in the body to help, to help it grow. Lord, we, we also pray for the many needs around us that, that we have heard, for those that are suffering in, in the war in Ukraine. We pray for the brothers there and sisters that you may watch over them and, and bless them and comfort them during these times. And we pray, Lord, that you may also help us to to be lights in wherever we are in our workplace in those around us in our families to to look at ourselves each and every day as we heard this morning to to do a test of where we stand and how we are doing to look at where we can improve to listen to admonishment from brothers and sisters where we can where we have fallen or faltered we pray lord that we may think of these things daily each and every day of our lives we also pray for those that are sick those that could not be with our fellowship today we pray lord that you may comfort them during these times and be with them. All these things we ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. I mentioned briefly about packing the van. There's another part about being fitted together properly. See, uh, Grace likes to say sometimes that I married her for her U.S. postal address. 
So whenever we head down to her parents' place, there's always a small mountain of packages and different things waiting for us to take back. And my father-in-law said to me more than once, are you sure it's going to all fit? <laughs> I look at everything and I think, yeah, I think we can make it fit. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time, a little bit of sweating and careful packing and finding a little hole somewhere that'll hold a package of just the right size. But you know what? When everything's fitted together properly, nothing gets left behind. Nothing gets left behind. If we pay attention to how we're fitted in the body of Christ, realizing that each one has its spot, don't have to leave anyone behind. I don't think I've left a package behind at my in-laws yet. It's the same way in the church. When we all have our proper place, where God wants us to be, then we all come into the knowledge of the one who loved us first and gave himself for us. That's how it's supposed to be. Until we all. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said, and may he dismiss us also with his blessing. Amen.